Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We're your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. Today we have with us Hunter Buffington. She is the Executive Director of Hemp Feed Coalition and is also involved with Hemp Traders and Canna Grove. Hunter is involved in all things hemp and is going to share some amazing information with us on all the projects she's involved with. Hunter, it seems as though you're involved in a variety of different hemp-based projects. What is the most exciting thing you're working on right now? Wow. Um, (laughs) I think that's really kind of an overarching theme that really is the most exciting, and that would be bringing hemp um, to the the rest of the United States as an animal feed ingredient. And and really the, the education and the opportunity to bring hemp to what I would say is its rightful place as a commodity in the United States again. Again, that's, <laughs> that's the, the right. pivotal, pivotal word right there. <laughs> yes. So when you say a hemp, uh, a hemp-based food for animals, what part of the plant are you using uh, for that food? Yeah, so the the seed and grain part of the hemp plant has been used as, as human food for millennia and, of course, was also fed to our animals both intentionally and um, as they graze, of course, they would come across cannabis that was in the wild. Um, probably some of that would have been considered hemp as it is today with that less than 0.3% THB and other hemp Um, or other cannabis that they would have been grazing on may not have been considered hemp by today's standards. So it's been a long time that um, animals have been, in fact, eating it. So if we think about them grazing on it as forage material, they would probably have come into contact with the stems, the flowers, the leaves, and, of course, the seed. For the production of animal and human food, that has been primarily focused on the grain product, that hemp seed. You'll, of course, be familiar with hemp parts at the grocery store. Hemp milk is um, becoming more and more popular every day. But there's hemp flour and just a lot of byproducts that do already have parts of the hemp plant, specifically the seed in it. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of nutritional value we also find in the stock for those tertiary leaves and flower material as we go forward. Now, are you, is there any type of foods that you are creating right now or any organizations you're working with to get that out there? Yeah, so the Hemp Feed Coalition works with processors and farmers across the United States. So I myself don't, um, I'm not a farmer. I don't have a green thumb, unfortunately, but I grew up um, chasing cows. Well, I always make jokes about that because we always chase one cow. It's not (laughs) all of them that are naughty, just usually one. So I came up in the ag industry, even though I'm not a farmer myself. I do, however, work with farmers and producers from across the country. And part of the reason that we do that with the Hemp Feed Coalition is to get the best opportunity to help describe, understand, and put into place ingredients of identity and standards for all of those materials. 
most of the work that I'm doing is working on the grain side with those grain processors that have um, waste material that's left over. Of course, with the amount of production um, of cannabinoids in flower material, as far as the industry across the United States, we are also investigating that post-extracted pulp material to see if it's going to be nutritionally um, relevant and cost-effective as a potential feed source. Awesome. So when, when did Hemp Feed Coalition begin? So we were actually born um, in 2018, and that was at the conclusion of a stakeholder study group that was convened here in Colorado. That's where my office is and where my family is. And that group came about because the legislature in Colorado had intended to pass legislation that would allow for animals to consume hemp. And while um, it's a popular notion even today, the reality is that until the federal government approves it, then we can't approve it on a state-by-state basis. So when the legislature learned that that was the, the barrier to legalizing hemp for animals, they instead allocated money to a stakeholder study group whose goal was to identify the pathway to legal approval. That stakeholder group met for around six months, and I was involved at the end of that stakeholder group. At its conclusion, it then put forth six steps that needed to be met in order to gain legal federal approval, um, published a report, and then, of course, that group was done. So once the report was finished, the members of that stakeholder group really didn't want to just stop working on legal approval for animal feed. And so we began to develop our steering committee and really branded the Hemp Feed Coalition at that time. However, we were a program under the Colorado Hemp Industries Association and a program under Friends of Hemp. So we had two parents, if you will, one in Colorado and one in Kentucky, the idea there to make sure that we were representative of the entire nation. And then last January, our steering committee decided to become our own organization. So we officially became our own organization rather than a program um, January 9th of 2020. Wow. Good for you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting next step. Now, have you seen, have you had the, I mean, you had the opportunity to feed animals through some different test programs, but are there any farmers or ranchers that are kind of running with hemp in their feed right now? I mean, absolutely. The hemp industry is is nothing if it's not aggressive and excited, enthusiastic. I'm sure there's some other words that that we could employ to describe our industry. And I think most folks um, are generally early adopters. We're beginning to see a hearts and minds change for the rest of the ag sector. But for a lot of folks, um, it's been frustration has been Mm -hmm. their experience with feeding hemp to animals. Um, As we begin to see more studies that are coming out of universities, more studies that are very rigorous and meet the demands that the FDA and the Center for Veterinary Medicine expect in those safety and efficacy trials. 
then I think we're going to see more and more folks that are adopting hemp as an animal feed. But for a lot of farmers that have a small farm or even a medium or large farm that are also processing their own hemp material and then raising their own animals, uh, it's very easy in an integrative ag model to go ahead and feed that hemp to the animals that they themselves are eating, which is not illegal. It's illegal to have that enter the stream of commerce. So you can't sell hemp-fed animal products. Um, but technically, if it was grown on your own farm, then you would be able to feed that to your own animals. Well, it's very interesting. So in order for, for us to start uh, selling that hemp feed for animals, I mean, how many more hoops do we have to jump through with the federal government? That is my least favorite question ever, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) It's only because um, it's it's a lot of work to get this done. And that's a lot of the frustration that I shared with you guys when I said, again, because we definitely had hemp as an ag commodity and a resource in the United States. I mean, even after prohibition, we allowed for hemp to be produced during the war. So we have this kind of strange relationship with hemp material in the United States. So the frustration is that we have to, for every species that we want to feed a hemp byproduct to, we have to do a clinical feed trial to show that it's safe and effective as an animal feed. To compound this, so um, we're talking about egg-laying chickens versus broiler chickens. We're talking <laughs> beef cattle versus dairy cattle. And then we're also talking finished animals, so the ones that are going to end up on our plate, versus the, the cow-calf or the, the mother-offspring relationships that, of course, keep the production industry going. So in addition to the species classifications improving safety and efficacy, We also have to do safety and efficacy on the ingredient itself. So, for example, I'm really excited that we are very close to submitting to FDA-CBM the first application for hemp seed meal to be fed to laying hens. So, this is the first application of, unfortunately, many. So, that was a really long answer to your question, and the reality is that um, it's 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 a ways off. Even after we get the application submitted, they of course have to go through the FDA CBM approval process, which can take years. Um, projected to take uh, a minimum of two years for each of those applications, so it can be an incredibly frustrating process, even to describe. <laughs> Absolutely. It sure sounds like it. I mean, I wanted to imagine that it would be that difficult to feed animals a food and that you had to go through all those certifications. It's just got to be, it's just mind boggling to me. I mean, I, when you think about how they're feeding all these animals, these grains and these GMO corns, and now we've got to jump through all these hoops to make hemp legal for commerce. It's just crazy. But good work on uh, on what you're doing right now. It's really important. And I guess laying hens would be a pretty big market to at least start with. Yeah, the, the poultry market is quite massive in the United States. And, you know, the, 
the hemp industry and the animal care segment is projected to grow almost another 10% in the next couple of years. So this is a massive market. And one of the biggest opportunities that we have is to also consider regenerative farming Mm -hmm. when it comes to having a a healthy, thriving hemp crop in the United States. The the benefits to that crop are more than just the, the waste product from processing, which is what we're working to get into the animal foods market. Well, and we have, you know, we have birds at home and our ducks love the hemp seeds. And I have to be careful not to give them too much because it does have, if you give them too much, it'll have a negative impact on their eggs just because there's too much protein. But if you give them the right amount, their eggs are so much better. They're so much healthier. So, you know, if we can feed this to our animals, it's going to provide a better food source for us as humans. Absolutely. It's a really amazing benefit because obviously, you know, we, we are what we eat. Our animals Mm -hmm. are what they eat. And there's, in addition to that, you know, the, the regenerative opportunity that hemp presents that other feed sources just don't bring to the table, especially when you think about the amount or the size of the agricultural impact of single commodities like corn mm-hmm. or wheat or soybean. Yeah, definitely. Now, whenever you you were talking about having to submit for each species of animals, now that's got to be yes. pretty cost prohibitive, correct? It absolutely is. That is, in fact, the biggest barrier to getting the approval because as I mentioned, every species has to go through a safety assessment. And we do, before the safety assessment, we also have to set standards of identity. The ingredient composition is incredibly important as we think about each of these byproducts. So it's not only the chemistry to understand the nutritional composition, but it's also identifying where there's contaminants or if there's elements or anti-nutritives of concern in the ingredient itself before it's even fed. So that's what the Hempy Coalition really focuses on is that setting those standards of identity and really understanding each of those ingredients and, and how it works with the supply chain across the United States. We then identify researchers who are species experts that have conducted safety trials before because, of course, we want to make sure that if um, they get completion of the studies that they can not only publish those studies, but then they're, they're reputable and they can help us to answer the very meticulous questions that the FDA and Center for Veterinary Medicine is going to have about that research. So it is incredibly expensive. And then on top of that, um, adding to the general expense of conducting those kinds of trials is that we have to ensure that we have enough individuals being fed three different rations and then a control ration to make sure that we have statistically relevant results. Mm. (laughs) So this usually means a minimum of, of 30 individuals for each of those rations. When you think about chickens, that's not so expensive. Yeah, However, definitely. when we start to think about cattle, the <laughs> costs go way up, and it is definitely one of the biggest barriers for us to overcome and getting this work done. 
Now is the, the hemp feed coalition, they are taking donations to help pay for this type of research. Is that correct? Yeah. So we of course have uh, fundraising as a component for our own organizational budget, but we look to identify champions who are specific and strategically interested in funding research or funding uh, contracts to complete the applications. I'm sure you can imagine that yeah. these applications are massive and it takes a, a team effort, if not a professional effort, to really get these done and get them submitted. So we work with state departments of ag. Uh, we also work with land-grant universities and individual researchers um, when we can find them who are really enthusiastic about this ingredient and about doing the clinical trials. And then we try to identify champions who are as excited or almost as excited as those individual researchers, bringing them together on the animal side, and then letting us focus on the ingredient side and, and really monitoring the, the submissions to FDA CVM. That way we can protect our producers, our processors, and our researchers as they go through this process. Yeah, it's a huge group effort there to get any of this passed through. It is. And then you you're foc- you focus a lot on writing policy. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, I don't write as much policy these days um, mm-hmm. simply because it's really almost a, as much of a, a job to monitor what's happening across the United States <laughs> as it is to actually get in there and create policy. Um, It's gotten to the point in the hemp industry as well where the states are producing policy and statutes to try and put rulemaking in place so that we can have the structure to deal with this commodity. So there's plenty of work just in reviewing the policy that's coming out and making sure that um, we don't inadvertently cause problems for the industry moving forward or create thresholds or or action limits in our food resources that are going to be problematic in the future. So there's a lot of people out there that are writing great policy, but I'll tell you, my hands are full just reviewing it (laughs) to make sure that it's okay (laughs) policy as we move forward building this industry. Yeah. And reading different policy is what hundreds of pages sometimes, right? (laughs) It absolutely is. And the differences between state and local policy versus federal policy, there's um, so much subtle nuance. And in understanding how the two entities interact, is um, it's, it's really difficult. It takes uh, a lot of time and you really have to monitor what's happening across the country at the same time that the federal government is trying to figure out how to manage this crop as well with the USDA IFR that um, we've been working on for a minute. And fortunately, the USDA has determined that they need to work on that again some more as well. You can see that there is a real lack of understanding from the policymakers' side. So I find that that's where I spend the majority of my time is reviewing policy and educating policymakers both at those state and local levels and when when possible at the federal level. Wow. Well, we really have to thank you for spending all that hard time with the policy 
you know, somebody's got to do that really difficult job. But I'd like to move on to something maybe a little funner than all the policy stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's definitely a lot of different opportunities within the industry. And I mean, you know, there's P- I'm sure that you can use help on the policy side, um, you know, among others. But what, where do you see people being able to position themselves in the industry? I think that one of the, the biggest benefits that we have with the hemp industry is our enthusiasm, mm-hmm. our willingness to put ourselves out there and say we support hemp uh, or that we have questions as to why hemp isn't on the table. So I think that is really where we also have the, the most capital is really in the hemp industry and its members itself. I'm not always, you know, completely satisfied with the the way that the industry talks about itself, um, especially because there has always been a lot more focus in the United States on the top 20% of the plant instead of the rest of the plant and everything that um, hemp and, and the cannabis plant can accomplish for us, our animals, and the planet. But I think that we're the best advocates and I think we forget that our legislators and policymakers don't have as much time as they need to read through policy. If you think about just looking at hemp policy and how many pages, how many books it would be to try and monitor all of that, just imagine what our policymakers are supposed to read and absorb in very short periods of time. I would really love to encourage everyone out there that is involved in hemp processing or growing or even as a consumer to reach out and have conversations with their state legislators and their federal legislators. This is a great time to put a face to the hemp industry, um, especially because we're now starting to be recognized as a more legitimate commodity. I mean, again, right? (laughs) But there's still a lot of misconception about hemp and cannabis. And then, of course, when we say cannabis, there's a lot of policymakers that will immediately cringe. uh, And they need to see their constituents who are farmers, who are producers, and and who are consumers that um, really are the face of the industry. I don't think that they know us as well as they think they do. And we really have the most political capital to be resources and to be educators to those legislators. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, cannabis has had such a bad name, bad rap for so long that as soon as you mention hemp or cannabis or it doesn't matter how you say it, they people immediately, I believe, think about, um, you know, recreational cannabis and they're not looking at what our farmers can do and how it can help uh, each and every one of us, our animals, our environment, and all the above. Absolutely. Now, are you, um, you know, are you in, you're involved with Hemp Traders and Canagrove, is that correct? Um, not, I don't, I have uh, relationships with them as part of my processor community. So okay. not anything more strategic with those entities as I do with 
other processors across the country. Okay. And then these processors that you um, have relationships with, do you, for the, for the animal feed, you take the, um, the leftover product that they're not going to use and then kind of use that for the feed or that's the idea behind it for the future? Yeah, absolutely. The, the goal is to commoditize the waste products that are coming from the hemp industry. And right now, the, the, the industry is focused on the cannabinoid production in the flower. So we definitely have a lot of post-extracted pulp material mm-hmm. out there that doesn't have a home. And according to the nutritional analysis that I have seen, um, looks to be a great resource for fat and protein and um, the vitamins and minerals that uh, would make it a high-quality feed. When we think about the grain side of the industry, the largest market for hemp seed is in hemp seed oil. So there, of course, is still hemp seed, like the whole and the heart, Mm -hmm. right? So you can have whole seeds, you can have the whole seeds, then you'll see a lot of market where it's meal or protein powder. So what our goal is, is to provide opportunities to expand the supply chain and commoditize those waste products. That will help stabilize the market for hemp and its byproducts across the country. It will also make sure that our farmers have multiple streams of revenue for the crops that they're, product- that they're producing. And I'm really excited to begin to explore byproducts that are coming from the fiber side of the industry, but we've only really just begun looking at that because the primary focus has been on the grain and the flour production. Perfect. And, you know, can you share with us, you know, you share with us for just briefly that back in 1990, you had that aha moment that hemp was a sustainable resource. What inspired you to really dive deeper into hemp, cannabis, whatever we want to call it today? (laughs) I mean, I was very frustrated. Um, I would suspect that I'm probably not dissimilar to a lot of the folks that found themselves to be hemp or cannabis advocates. Um, I think it's also true that most folks who uh, are in the hemp space now really got an introduction to... um, to hemp through cannabis, I am no different. I experienced mm-hmm. watching my uncle be very, very ill. Um, he had both uh, liver and kidney failure and was consuming um, basically to maintain his lifestyle and trying to prevent himself from ending up in the hospital. And watching the struggle with the prescribed medications and the the outcomes, um, the, the outcomes definitely did not offset the benefits watching him with those prescription medications and then watching him consume cannabis and be able to have conversations and eat food was, first of all, such a dichotomy. And, yeah. you know, as I mentioned, I, I grew up in rural America, so I definitely did not have a positive relationship with cannabis um, mm-hmm. until that moment in my life. But my father worked very hard on renewable energy systems and, in fact, worked 
in the energy department in Wyoming. And so I also had this interesting snapshot of watching rural America really be in this endless petroleum cycle. If gas prices were up, then everybody was doing great. And if gas or oil prices were down, then nobody was was doing great for a lot of the, the folks that I grew up with. And at that time in my life, I really felt that we could do better. There were so many things that um, we seem to do because they were convenient and we've been doing them that way for so long. Why change? And I've always been a bit of a catalyst in the sense that um, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Mm-hmm. And just because we are doesn't mean we should continue. And once I saw my uncle's relationship with cannabis and how that helped him, I began to really explore the plant. Um, more fully. And the next step for me was I absolutely fell in love with hemp specifically as a building material, mm-hmm. as a carbon sequestering plant, as a renewable plant for things like paper. Um, and for me, this really grew into a desire to see a renewable plastic. Who doesn't want renewable plastic? Right. So, you know, there was a real beginning there where um, the relationship, my understanding of cannabis was really just crushed and destroyed when I saw my uncle go through that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I began to develop my own relationship and really discovered all of the reasons why I'm in love with hemp today. And I'm fortunate to be able to really spend my time working on getting this, this industry set and hopefully providing us with some opportunities to find solutions to the problems that we have today that, that we haven't figured out how to fix yet. That's an amazing story. I think that there's many of us out there that believe in hemp as a, as a resource for even medicine building and whatnot have all had that, that profound experience that really changed our view of it. You know, we, we experienced that with our son as well, um, with the CBD and it, it, it's, it's amazing how he switched from having meltdowns all the time to all of a sudden he was calm again and he, he could think and talk better. And, you know, you, you have these profound experiences and, and people, the people that don't understand it think that they still have that stigma in their head that we're all trying to get high and smoke our houses and smoke our clothes and our paper and, that's just, that's just not it. It does so many amazing things for the body and for the planet that what you're doing is amazing by educating and really trying to bring forth some good information and foods to the animals out there because that's just going to teach us more and more. So I really appreciate all that you are doing. Thank you. I appreciate you guys as, as well. It's it's not a story that I feel like I could have told, you know, even, well, two years ago, for sure, I would have been very careful how mm-hmm. I told that story and who I told that story to. Over concerns of being able to do the work that I need to with policymakers, with the FDA CVM, because there's still so much stigma. And, and that's the very reason that I hope that through the work you guys are doing that we empower 
your listeners and, and our consumers and our constituents to have those conversations with their policymakers. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, of course, same for us. I mean, we didn't, we're very careful who we talk to about certain things, especially giving my child CBD, but you know what? It's legal. I'm not going to, I have to not worry about it anymore because it, it helped tremendously and we can't, we have to share those stories, I think, to make others realize how important this really is. So. Agreed. God. And you know, I have one final question for you, Hunter. If money were not an issue, what hemp business would you spearhead? So if money was not an issue, what was the last thing, Nicole? What hemp business would you spearhead? Oh, um, <laughs> I, oh boy. I just want you to know that like four things went through my head all at once. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out really how to narrow that down. Um, I think if, if money was really not an issue, what I would like to see is that we, that renewable plastics, that biodegradable mm-hmm. plastic, I want in my lifetime to see our dependence on oil and petroleum products um, become a, a tertiary commodity. I want to see us begin to build a world that is renewable. And even as we're making plastic, that we're able to clean our air and clean our soil. I, I don't think that's one product, Nicole. But yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's really what I would love to see us do, not just for for my children and your children, but mm-hmm. for our children's children. I need to get on it. Yeah, I love it. I think my mind goes in a million different directions too when I think about that question. So, <laughs> yeah, awesome, Hunter. Where can where can people find you or reach out and help out if they want? Yeah. So um, anytime anybody has any questions about hemp as animal feed, um, our website is a really great resource. There's materials there. Um, You wouldn't have to reach out to me um, and and try and and learn everything in in one session. The website is there to give you some guidance and hopefully give you some tools to have those conversations. If you have researchers that uh, you're excited to tell me about who are doing this work, if you have a a favorite um, alma mater that you want to see become a champion in the work that we're doing, if you have specific um, policy or legislators that that you want to target or have conversations with, it's really easy to send me an email. It's hunter at hempseedcoalition.com. Org. And I am also surrounded by a really incredible, resourceful, intelligent group of advisors. So if I can't answer the question, I can almost always get you in front of the person who can. That is awesome. Well, a huge shout out to Hunter Buffington today for joining us and sharing her passion and the hard work that she's doing for policymaking to make to make hemp food a reality for our animals. We appreciate our listeners tuning in to the Hemp Empowerment Project. And our goal is uh, to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can change your life. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know.